Hello, this is Deborah Anderson, the Black Woman Animator, coming back to you with another video. And in this video, I have Ron Myrick, uh, a veteran in the animation industry. And so I want to get started with asking you, um, where are you from and how did you grow up? Well, I grew up here in L.A., but um, my family migrated from Atlanta, Georgia back in the late 50s. Mm -hmm. um, and and I have a, a rather eclectic upbringing. Um, my father brought us out here, and then he abandoned us. My mother stayed. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. My mother, tough black woman, she stayed with three children, and mm -hmm. very few contacts, no family support. Mm -hmm. She raised us here, <clears throat> um, but the next year after he left, the age of nine, I moved to Chicago for a year. Mm -hmm. Coldest year of my life. <laughs> That's why I left Detroit. <laughs> yeah. Second coldest experience I've had, Detroit. My mother lived mm -hmm. in Detroit uh, after we'd grown up mm -hmm. 10 or 12 years. But I, I uh, moved to Chicago, came back to LA, then reconnected with my dad in uh, Brooklyn, mm. Brooklyn, New York. And so um, LA was my base, but I always traveled to different parts of um, the country. Uh, I used to say I've, I've been in the best ghettos of, of uh, the US. Atlanta, mm -hmm. Brooklyn, uh, Bed-Stuy, uh, LA, South Central. And so that was my, my, my upbringing. Did, did, um, did either, you know, growing up in LA or traveling around the country, did it help curate, you know, anything artistically with you or, or it, what was the experience like going to different places, experiencing the different types of blackness? Well, it broadened my vision and view of America and culture uh, across the board. First off, coming here from LA, I mean, from Atlanta, I was attending segregated a segregated elementary school but I really didn't understand segregation. I didn't know, mm -hmm. I didn't really get it. So when I came here, um, the schools were integrated. So I was going to school with uh, black, Hispanic, Chinese, all, mm -hmm. all races. And <clears throat> that kind of laid a foundation when I went to, uh, Chicago was an all black mm -hmm. but race was never really an issue. Um, my eyes were open when I went to Brooklyn and I encountered black Puerto Ricans. I'd never mm -hmm. seen them speak another language. So when I saw them speaking Spanish, it, it froze me. I was like, what are they saying? How, what, how is this real? Um, right. And then, of course, 
New York being a melting pot on many levels. I met Jamaicans, um, Africans, as, as well as Black Puerto Ricans. And uh, mm -hmm. so li living and moving around the country helped me to get a broader understanding of, of how vast the world and the country that we live in is. Mm -hmm. As far as from a artistic uh, point of view, it didn't have a great influence on me at the time. I think my greatest mm -hmm. influence then was comic books. Yeah. So that goes into, you know, what was your relationship to, with art in your childhood and what was your journey to working in animation um, as you became an adult? So I had a great imagination via comic books. Read, I love to read. Um, uh, you know, I started with DC, but I read everything, even the Sunday mm -hmm. comics. And uh, imitated the drawing styles of, you know, different artists that I like. Um, then got into the Marvel universe as it was growing in the early 60s. Um, and, you know, it was kind of like Marvel DC, but there were other uh, action comics as well. Um, mm -hmm. I even read some Archie, Richie Rich, <laughs> you know, yeah. it was across the board, but uh, always wondering, you know, why aren't there any black characters? Where, where, where's the characters that look like us? Um, <clears throat> so a friend and I, we would create our own characters. I do not remember any of their names. <laughs> they, they had powers and they did heroic things, but um, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, but it, right. was, it was just fun. So. Were you drawing black characters? Because I know sometimes, at least in my generation, people end up drawing white characters all the time. Were you drawing black characters? They were probably white um, with some black characters in it, but mm -hmm. probably white and being influenced by the artist. Right. Um, as I but as my talent started to grow and I, I started getting trained, uh, I ventured off into fine arts. So I have a, a BFA in life drawing. Mm -hmm. And that was my passion, was drawing. I did not study animation in school or college. I just knew from what I'd seen in television, they draw the same thing over and over and over, but I didn't understand how the process, how that worked. Yeah. Um, so I went to the College of Arts and Crafts in Oakland uh, after graduating from high school. And it was there that I was introduced to animation through a friend who had, uh, had an interview at an art agency mm -hmm. go to the studio filmation. They were producing Fat Albert and five other cartoons at the time. Mm -hmm. 
the RT Star Trek, um, Mission Magic, My Favorite Martian, Lassie. I didn't count, but uh, they need it. Young kind, they need it. Yeah. Um, again, nobody looked like me. I took a drawing test. Had no idea how to draw for animation, so I'd say I failed miserably. It was, it was pretty embarrassing. But yeah, the guy interviewing me, he said he wanted to see if I really wanted the job. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I did. I, there was just something inside of me that said, "I can do this." I know if I had mm-hmm. the opportunity, I can do this. So they had a. Yeah. They had a program they were starting for in-betweeners. And they lay out an in-between um, animation. So that's where I started was as an in-betweener. Nice. Um, so you've worked on many shows, but I'm going to highlight several of them. I'm not. <laughs> so uh, as an artist, you worked on that. Albert and the Cosby Kids, Spider-Woman, Flash Gordon, The Jetsons, Smurfs, Alvin and Chipmunks, Dark Green Duck, um, Dennis the Menace, Captain Planet, Sonic the Hedgehog, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Life with Louie, I remember Louie Anderson, um, Cow and Chicken, SpongeBob SquarePants, Cat Dog, Ed, Ed and Eddie, Black Dynamite. Um, as a director, you did the um, California Raisin Show, Mother Goose and Grimm, Street Sharks, Garfield and Friends, Bobby's World, um, <laughs> Sea Bear and Jamal. Uh, and then uh, you did some ABC Weekend specials, uh, Jerem Pimbera and The Magic Flute. So um, does with all the stuff that you've worked on, and it's been many more than that, just look at his IMDb that's, <laughs> page. That's enough. I, yeah, I but, um, wonder who is that guy? It's you. <laughs> yeah um so does it feel like working on all that does it feel any different when you were able to work on shows that had characters that looked like you um oh yeah absolutely absolutely i mean they've been few and far between but i I loved uh, that that's been my dream is to uh, create or make work on, you know, black programs, black animation. Um, And, you know, and it's been a frustration because of the the process, Mm -hmm. studio system, the networks, um, their bias, opinion. I mean, in the in the 80s, 80s and even 90s, if you came with a show to pitch, they would tell you, um, we're not interested in shows for girls, we're not interested in shows for, we're only interested in shows for kids 6 to 11. Yeah, if it's, if it's too old, Mm-hmm. It's 13, 14 and up to uh, and uh, white boys. So 
Mm -hmm. right? 6 to 11 boys. Would they explicitly say white boys or was it coded language? It was very thinly veiled coded. <laughs> you understood. They mean white boy, but, uh, you know, they didn't come right out and say it explicitly. Americana. <laughs> Close enough, you got it. You got it, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's like if we if we get the white boys, everybody else will come. Mm. So, you know, um, my love of animation has been in the process of the creating and mm -hmm. doing and um, growing up with characters that were voiced by white men or women. But what you saw was an animal as in a Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck cartoon, Mickey Mouse. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of take race out of the equation. But as yeah. you get older and more uh, sophisticated, you understand they're reflecting white culture, not our culture. Mm -hmm. yeah. So whenever I was given the opportunity, I really jumped at it and hope for the success of the show. Few of them were successful, but but the process was fun. Yeah. So um, you've held many various roles throughout your career, storyboard artist, sheet timer, timing director, animator, producer, director. Um, which ones have you enjoyed the most? Uh, being the director. Mm -hmm. And because in that, position, you uh, work with the entire crew, from the writers. Uh, you shape and you tell the story. And that's mm -hmm. what I, I love doing, storytelling. Mm -hmm. uh, assembling the, the artists together, uh, designer, character designers, painters, then the animators. Mm -hmm. And then in the post-production, the composer, sound effects editors, the picture editor. It's all fun. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, uh, but if necessary, I can step back and be a timer or, you know, whatever it takes to get the project done. So can you explain the difference? Well, explain first and then explain the difference between a sheet timer and a timing director? They're the same. Okay. Uh, but what, what do they do? Well, in the 80s and 90s, as um, animation was being contracted out overseas, the uh, foreign animators needed needed us to time the shows to specify where a panel pose went on the exposure. Mm -hmm. And being an animator, that was my foundation. It was yeah. a natural transition to start timing. And the timing was in two phases. Uh, there was storyboard slugging, which essentially is done by an animatic editor now. Mm -hmm. Time we would, uh, based on our knowledge of time, we would time a storyboard in our head. 
if we would write the numbers down. This thing is four feet. Characters do we would break down the action and time out the whole storyboard. Then the timed out storyboard would go to the sheet timer. Mm -hmm. So it was in those two categories. So again, as an animator, I was able to go back and forth between the slug the board or write the sheets. Um, we hear the, the the terms producer and director all the time, but can you tell me the difference between what a producer does and what a director does? Yeah, again, it's kind of like potatoes, potato, uh, whatever they want to call you. But uh, um, or or depending on the hierarchy at the studio, mm -hmm. the bigger studios have more layers and levels of executives and you know people in charge. Yeah. Smaller studio. Um, you're wearing multiple hats, making decisions and working with whoever the executive producer is. But it's yeah. but but basically you're doing the same. Um Considering, uh, you know, you started doing animation in a, in a different way than we do it now, what is the power, do you think, in the old way of doing animation, how you started and, you know, how a lot of studios do animation now? Like, what was the power of back then and then what's the kind of power of now? Maybe the pro pros and cons of each. Um, well, then... You know, in the caveman days, we drew, <laughs> we drew on paper, pencil, pencil and paper. We did it traditional. You could mm -hmm. not, uh, you, the process was the same, but the technology limited uh, what you could do. For example, mm -hmm. Storyboard Pro allows you to create an animatic on your own. Yeah. When we were animating, an animatic was, was a luxury item. And it was either shot on film, or at that time they had um, a digital electronic device called, it was called a Lion Lamb machine, uh, named after the two guys that created it. Um, mm -hmm. It was their last names. but but you shot your animation frame by frame, but you could get an instant playback. Uh, mm -hmm. in contrast to shooting it on film, having the, sending the film out to be developed and getting it back the next day or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So there's always been an effort to get that immediate reaction or playback of what you're storyboarding or animating. And now, you know, the whole process is enveloped into one thing, one person. I, I'm frankly, it blows my mind what the storyboard artists are able to do, but also required to do. To large yeah. they, they're animated. And uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. Is there anything that, you know, the immediacy 
now that you know the animation industry has gotten used to getting stuff in media is there anything that has been lost from the caveman days <laughs> mm. Mm. Or in, even in general, if it's, if it's not related to the digital aspect, but if it's what, you know, what ki kids out of school are lacking or anything like that? Well, first of all, it was a different style of animation. Mm -hmm. then, you know, we were more from the old school of Chuck Jones, Tex Avery, uh, the guys who were really pushing the envelope of animation with stretch and squash and big takes and, you know, wanting to have the characters' personalities just, you know, really wild and crazy and fun. Um, and now there's less of that and more talking heads. Mm -hmm. A lot of dialogue. In, the, in fact, the shows of a lot like radio plays, nonstop dialogue and characters just standing and talking. Yeah. Um, for me, that's boring. But, yeah. But I respect it, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, it lacks the heart and the fun, in my point of view, that we had mm -hmm. uh, drawing and creating a character developing this personality and so on. It's like, it's like a the shows are more writer driven and writer controlled yeah. by mm -hmm. writers than artists. And um, we would take a script and, and shape it, you know, really yeah. flesh it out. I miss that. And that uh, is something I, I see lacking. That sounds similar to, you know, when I went to the movies to go see Fences with mm -hmm. uh, Denzel and Viola Davis, okay. I was just like, man, they just keep talking. <laughs> like, because, you know, in a play, uh, because it came from August Wilson's play, I mean, you, you talk a lot in a play, but I feel like, I just didn't feel like it was adapted for film because I feel like, you know, sometimes you you can you have to talk in a play because people can't see you from where they're sitting. But in mm -hmm. a film, you can do like a eye look, like a eye gaze or something. I just mm -hmm. didn't feel like they did. I was like, man, you, they are talking a lot. And so mm -hmm. it sounds similar to what you're saying where because people are writers and not artists or animators, they don't really know or realize how you can use body to tell something. Yeah, an expression. Yes. Um, I enjoyed Fences, and it was pretty much shot like a play. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, looking at the cartoons that, you know, there's no denying the success of Family Guy, Simpsons, the primetime cartoons, uh, where they just almost talk from start to finish. Uh, Cut away to gags, you know, um, but they're different. They're just yeah. I feel like with Family Guy and all and those type of shows, you really have to be up on current events to get. You can't. It's, I feel like it's impossible to get all the jokes that they input into those um, 
TV shows because you have to be up on current events, history. Like you have to know everything in life to understand every joke because they'll do three jokes in like 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And they're coming fast. And, and, and you know, yeah, that's that's the style. Um, so, like I said, I, I respect it, but it's not, you know, it's not where I came from. Yeah. Um, so throughout the years of continually meeting new animators, uh, what is something you consistently, if you have to teach them that they may not have learned in school or from being self-taught? Uh, well, what I look for in a young animator, or let's just say artist, is mm -hmm. first of all, passion. Um, that, you know, they, they have a passion and desire to do this. Um, mm -hmm. And if they have that, I can mold, help to mold and mentor and direct direct them. Um, I've had the privilege to do that over my career. And if nothing else, that's something that I appreciated from the, the gentleman that hired me. Um, even though he fired me six years later. Um, <laughs> he gave me a chance. I started my own business and he fired me. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but if he hadn't seen that spark in his yeah. in me, I would have never, well, I won't say never, but it gave me the opportunity. And mm -hmm. so, um, Throughout my career, I've looked and found found a number of young people who who had that passion, had that desire. I, I had a, a young man several years ago. There was a um, there was an awards program where they mm -hmm. awarded black animators. I think it was the city of L.A. and the sister that put it together. I'll think of her name later. Mm -hmm. But a young man came up to me and he said that um, he had interviewed with me while I was at Warner Brothers. And I had encouraged him to learn computer animation. He was just starting out and he asked, what should he do? And mm -hmm. I told him to learn the computer. That's the future where things are headed. And this was the early 2000s. Well, he was, has been one of the key digital animators at Disney for a while now. I don't know if he's still there, but he thanked me. And I remember the interview, but it was just that short. But he said, based on that encouragement, it took him in the right direction and along the right path. And he was doing very well. That's what's great about this. Like, you know, um, I actually I had a, a book that I came out with called The Black Hair Alphabet. And um, people, I mean, obviously, I guess, obviously, you know, people have you sign it. I, mean, I didn't really think about that before I came out with it. I just published it through Amazon. And so as people were having me sign it for their like little nieces or daughters or something, I'm like trying to figure out something to say. And I, I kind of acknowledged that 
while I'm just thinking of, oh, let me think of something cool to say for them receiving it. They might be like, this person directed my life. <laughs> and I was just trying to think of something cool to say. <laughs> and right. so that's the cool thing about, you know, giving young people advice is that you're just saying something that makes sense. And then they take it and some of them take it and run with it. And then they are successful as well. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, and it's really fun to see, see them and, and they leave your life. They go on, you, you, you separate and then circumstances bring you back together. And it's like, you're a director, you're, you're what, <laughs> you know, and they like, yeah, you told me to do this and I did it. And now I am running this program, this department, like, wow. And, um, That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's also gratifying. Because uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's been my, my lifelong passion, again, to pass it on or pay it forward. This, yeah. this, oh, the year I started, there were two black people, two black guys, my, myself included, at Filmation. And it was kind of, um, you know, we would kind of whisper like, oh, I heard there's two more of us over at Hanna-Barbera and uh, there's a guy named Ron Husband over at uh, Disney and Floyd Norman. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, you would get excited to know there's other black people in the business. Yeah. But, but we Who were, was the person you worked with at Filmation? Uh, he actually, we were in the same program, but uh, he was not successful. Okay. And becoming um, just an in-betweener. So they moved him into, he became a cell wiper. This is when animation was Xeroxed onto cells. And, and yeah. they would wipe the cell, I think. Yeah, it, it, it would Xerox the drawing on the cell, paint on the cell. And before the cells were shot, a cell wiper would wipe it down clean to get all the dust and fingerprints and everything off of it, and then it went under the camera. Yeah. So he was a cell wiper, which is a job anyone could have done, but at least they kept being busy for the summer. Mm -hmm. I never saw him. Okay. Uh, what is uh, a memorable success you know, you've had in your career, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that big. Um, it could be something like small that you know, a little obstacle that you faced, or it could, it can be big. What are, what is like a memorable success? I'm sure you've had many. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think my biggest success is just surviving. Just how long I've been in animation now, forty eight. Mm -hmm. And, um, but traveling, traveling the world, um, it's, that's been a privilege and pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, certain shows I felt made a difference. Um, one of my favorite shows I produced was called Ozzy and Bricks. I did that at Warner Brothers, based on the movie Osmosis Jones. Okay. 
And what I enjoyed about that is it was educational and entertaining. Um, mm-hmm. Talked about we, we had funny situations that dealt with the health issues of a young child. Uh, it was a 13-year-old boy, and he was his family. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a it was one of the best shows I feel that I worked on. Um, when I was at Saban Entertainment, um, that's when I started traveling international internationally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my first trip was to Korea, so. With with Don's wife, uh, she was in charge of production at Saban, mm-hmm. and uh, we flew there together. And it, it it was a revelation to see that it's like uh, music is the universal language because yeah. people speak different languages, but they can all play you know sheet music or improvised jazz or whatever. Mm-hmm. I felt that way about animation as I toured the studio and saw young animators with their, you know, animate. Mm-hmm. But all working with the exposure sheets, doing everything that we did, but in their language and in their way. But the process was the same. Right. So I had a translator and um, you know, through the translator, I felt like we were speaking the same language and I was able to disseminate my vision to their team. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, the end result, there, you know, was on television. But, but again, just seeing the process and, and it, it's worldwide. It was really exciting. Really yeah, that's that, that's why when um people ask me about, you know, when I worked at in Korea and I wasn't fluent in Korean and they weren't fluent in English, you know, people sometimes ask me like how did you do that? I'm like, "Well, it's art." Like it, like I didn't it, it's like make it bigger, make it smaller. Yeah. I moved some colors and I, I made I, it work. I told uh, some people I who recently uh, worked on the series Skylanders and it mm-hmm. was uh, animated in, in France, in Paris. And I said, I speak artist. I don't speak French. I don't speak right. Korean, but I know how to communicate with artists. And I had a really good rapport with the French director. And, mm-hmm. and we worked, you know, it, the collaboration of the team, you know. I feel that like that's one of my strengths is working mm-hmm. with, collaborating with them. Um, it's kind of something that's been lost, unfortunately, due to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but whether it was Paris, Korea, Japan, uh, Canada, uh, mm-hmm. I was able to communicate and work with the artists, you know. Of course, 
in Canada they spoke English, but uh, yeah, French, Paris, Japan, and Korea. Uh, you know, you had to sort of have a Vulcan mind now. <laughs> so uh you mentioned um not on this video but you mentioned that you thought korea was boring <laughs> well yes and no i mean mm -hmm. I, one of my first trips there maybe it was a second uh they took me to some very impressive museums and i think a mm -hmm. A palace that was oh, yeah. uh, quite interesting. Honestly, I maybe I misspoke because I I um, I think what I meant more was how hard at that time at least the Korean people worked. It just seemed like it seemed like a uh, beehive. <laughs> It is like to walk into it and, you know, when I was in my uh, department, it felt like a library. <laughs> and so if you think of having a bag of chips and, and wanting to open them and feeling like it's too loud, that's what it kind of felt like when I worked at the studio where it was very quiet. <laughs> but as hard as they worked at night, we partied pretty hard. Fact, yes, they do that as well. <laughs> I did not understand how we could party all night and they're up the next day back in the studio working. But that's where I first played uh, karaoke. Oh, yeah. 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 When I came back to America, I actually wanted to open a private karaoke room based on my experience in Korea with the Node Bongs. Like the yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it was great. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So they, I, I mean, I really like that, that they worked hard and played hard because that's yeah. kind of my life. Mm -hmm. What I've done. So, uh, and of the different cultures I've worked with, I found the Koreans the most, uh, amenable. Mm -hmm. uh, like the Japanese experience I had, they wanted mm -hmm. to do everything their way. Um, the Chinese are similar, mm -hmm. but the Koreans just wanted you to tell them what you want and they will do it. Yeah. And, and, and so there wasn't as much challenge going back mm -hmm. and forth of, you know, trying to keep the vision intact because yeah. somebody else is seeing it a different way and they're changing. So. Yeah, a lot of people typically, you know, from America, they want to go to Japan and China and, you know, Korea and even on people's radar. But I highly suggest that people go to Korea because it's, um, I don't know if this existed before, when you went, but the, there's this concept, like when, when I went called cracked chicken. <laughs> and so it was like really good fried chicken. Mm -hmm. um, and they, I just feel like personally that um, from when I was there from 2009 to 2011, that Koreans are just black people <laughs> who 
with who look Asian because it's because they we have very similar cultures. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that for sure. Um, there was a, a young lady here that opened up it, and I, I think it was in Koreatown. She opened up a crack chicken restaurant. Because mm -hmm. um, there's the Kyochan and then there's like two other ones, but it's so good. They make fried chicken so well. Mm -hmm. And I heard through the front, they learned from the military, the black military people. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's why I guess they just perfected it mm -hmm. further than yeah. your down home southern fried chicken. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and, and of course, shopping in Korea is amazing. Yes, I got um because I'm in a sorority, so I got a motorcycle jacket with like my um I got my name in Korean, <laughs> and then I got the little drawing on the back for two hundred dollars, <laughs> real leather. Was it tailor made? Yes. Yeah. I got the yeah. sleeves. I got the sleeves how I wanted them. I know the military men, particularly guys that have you know different bodies like they might have broad shoulders or they just can't fit a lot of suits or something they'll get like the fabric and get nine suits made <laughs> while they're stationed in korea that's what i did <laughs> <laughs> and they're fast the tailors they're yeah. fast so no i can't say korea is boring but again my, i didn't live there the way you did yeah. I, I would just mm -hmm. and also realize. I was about to say, I, I got to take you back. <laughs> I would go. I would go. I, uh, but I realized I was in a kind of a privileged position as the director. Mm -hmm. They were looking to cater to me and what I wanted. And, yeah. Uh, you know, but but I appreciate it. It was it was great. So can you tell about your experiences? Um, kind of visit going to you know Japan and France like being there and what it how it was different um Japan was fascinating um very nice culture and people uh even though you can tell there's xenophobia there there's mm -hmm. very few People who are, if you're not Japanese, you stand out like a sword. Put it like yeah. that. But their technology is so far advanced in ours, even in Korea. But yes, Japan was really just cutting edge out there. Um, and I liked actually. Personally, would not have minded living in Japan or Korea. Mm -hmm. because I like their discipline and focus of yeah. um, the task done. And, uh, you know, there's times here I'm, I'm, I would feel like I have to pull teeth from the artist. There, mm -hmm. they want you, you know, once you tell them, this is how it goes. This is how it works. They're in it, and and they they're looking to raise the bar and make it better. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I like that a lot. And of course, the food 
I learned at an early age when in Rome, do as the Romans. So I enjoy different cuisines everywhere I go. Yeah. Uh, I grew up being a finicky kid, so moving to Korea, I had to get rid of that. Really? Yeah. (laughs) It helped tremendously with my vegetable intake as well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, they have so many courses. It was a restaurant. They took me to, it was up in the mountains. And um, it was on top of the mountain. Mm had uh, a lot of vegetables, mm-hmm. kimchi, yeah, a lot of kimchi, and uh, roots, and things I would yeah. never have eaten, mm-hmm. but they were edible, and most of them good, but mm-hmm. again, I will experiment and try different things, so it was, it was fascinating. I, I really like. Yeah, I remember when I was the first year I was there when I was an English teacher, um, we were on like a teacher retreat. And, you know, you mentioned that they have a lot of courses, so they kept bringing out food. And uh, I, I feel like I had figured out at that point, you know, when they bring out the fruit, that means it's over. <laughs> and But after they brought out the fruit, they brought out more stuff. I'm like, we, they keep feeding us. And I remember my, I, t- I mentioned this to my co-teacher and she was like, but she, she was thinking, but, but Americans are fat. So like, why is this too much? I'm like, but y'all have healthy portions. Like we just eat a small portion of unhealthy, like McDonald's. We don't mm-hmm. have like servings of that. Yeah. That's not what's making us fat. Mm-hmm. What's making us fat, fat is the fat mm-hmm. content and how unhealthy it is, not how much we're eating. Always. Yeah. Yeah. And so she was like, oh, okay. (laughs) The end of the meal, which surprised me, was the soup. Mm -hmm. Last. And when they brought it out, I said, what's this? (laughs) We have soup now. I said, no, that goes first. (laughs) Oh, another cultural difference is, at least when I went, when that you have the fried chicken, they have ch- uh, chicken and beer places. And so if I was to bring fried chicken for lunch, they would look at me weird because fried chicken is to be consumed with beer. <laughs> so it's not like a meal that they have separately or at home. It's just like a novelty thing where, okay, we're going out to drink beer and we're having fried chicken as well. So I, that's another cultural difference where you know, if I had if I had leftovers or something and brought some fried chicken, like are you eating fried chicken for lunch? Like, yeah, it's food. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. They always mm-hmm. take me out to a restaurant to lunch, but I did at one point say to them, I want all the food I'm gonna eat in front of me right now. Bringing <laughs> out courses, I'd, I couldn't pace myself. I would. You know, there was seven vegetable food, plates of vegetables, and then the fish and the soup. Yeah. And it just, and, and like you're saying, it just kept coming. <laughs> and uh, finally, I just said, I wanna, I, I'm ashamed to say it now, but I had them take me to Friday's. 
And I, like, let me just get something I know really quick. <laughs> not just know, that's going to stop. Is, this is it. What I order <laughs> it. It's not going to be five more servings of whatever. But but their food is delicious, and I love what the way they would explain what the dishes were and how they came about. Uh, I don't. Mm -hmm. But I love that about food. Now, one of the most interesting ex food experiences I had is uh, the head of the studio. He said, uh, I ordered something from the Air Force, Navy, and Marines. I said, what does that mean? So he ordered foul, um, foul beef and seafood. Mm -hmm. But he, he called them... Uh, you know, branches of the yeah. military. But they brought out uh, uh, jellyfish. Mm, I don't think I ever had that there. And he said the uh, chef preparing the jellyfish had to be licensed. Mm, and I said, well, why? He said, because this can kill you. The, the jellyfish is so poison. It can kill you. Of course I didn't, but I said, well, how many people died before they got it right? <laughs> and who was that hungry? This, this thing that could kill me. I never got an answer, but I just found that fascinating. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Actually, I ate a little bit of it and it was totally tasteless. Just, but you know, I love food from different cultures, and, and as long as it's not too far out there. Uh, of course, food in Paris is amazing, and, mm -hmm. and they they uh, have some of the best sauces. Just you know, their whole affair with food and wine. <laughs> I drink. You drink wine like water in there. <laughs> but it's awesome. It's really good. What about the um, aesthetic of France and anything else that you experienced over there? Paris is like a living uh, art history book. Mm -hmm. Come to life. Uh, the statues, architecture. Uh, it's just Beautiful, beautiful, and you understand where um, the, well Washington D.C. is modeled on. Uh, mm -hmm. Thanks to Benjamin Banneker, <laughs> but you can see the influences of New York and the cities in the East on the East Coast. But uh, yeah, Paris is. We were we were literally talking about that earlier today in this conference. I did a presentation for, and we were in the networking, the breakout session, and we were talking about the DC roads. And somebody was saying, "Yeah, they're based on European," <laughs> and so they're trying to kind of get the gist of that. But that's why there's so many roundabouts and stuff. Yeah, Paris is full of, and mm -hmm. it's as close as you'll come to being on a roller coaster. <laughs> 
flat on the ground, but I was driving with this, this young lady who she was driving and their cars are, at that time were really small and they still mm -hmm. are. That's another thing, seeing all the different cars there are in the world. Besides, you know, Chevy and Ford. But right. we're going around this, this the Arc of the Triumph, which is a mm -hmm. roundabout of, of men. But she's looking at me, driving and talking. And I'm just like, oh my God, it's over. I'm looking at cars coming and joining the, uh, the roundabout and coming at us. And she is just cool as a cucumber. And we go out. We, we come out. We didn't have an accident. Mm -hmm. And she parks. And she literally parked like goofy. We moved the car behind us. Moved the car in front of us. She got that little car in there. And this, I mean, there wasn't enough room. She made and got out and said, let's go. And I just fell out laughing. I just said. Oh, it, my gosh. It was his. That's hilarious. It was. It was. And I said, and her car was so small. I said, in America, that somebody would flip this car over, come out, look at what you've done, and just raise it up. Because it was, it was a little bigger than one of those little smart cars. But it was. Wow. Line. And mm. it was just fascinating. And I said, a friend, so a friend of mine who I'd gone with, American, said, Let's rent a car. Mm. This before I had driven in a car, I knew. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I said, uh -uh, no, no way. I'm not drive here or London. Have you mm -hmm. been to London? Were they driving? Yeah, I, the well, I was on like a 24 hour layover uh, on the way to Dubai. So a little bit. Yeah. London and Japan, I think London, Japan, Australia, and New Zealand, they drive on the opposite side of the road. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would I would never try driving there either. Uh, in fact, when I, I was on a bus in Japan, coming from the airport, and he makes a left turn and my heart came up in my throat as I Oh my God, we're going to have a head on accident with oncoming traffic. He's driving on the road. I looked around, everybody's cool. And then I figured it out. This is how it works here. Okay. <laughs> but that initial reaction, like, well, um, another interesting experience in, in Japan was uh, you know, they have a lot of earthquakes. Yeah. So I'm up in a, a high-rise hotel, and we have an earthquake. And they, they, I think they uh, innovated putting the buildings on rollers. Mm -hmm. you know, put high-rises on rollers. Now I think they started that. This was mm -hmm. the earthquake 
I mean, we felt it, but everybody paused for one second. Earthquake over, business as usual. And again, I looked around like, what? Hey, no big deal. Right. I said, okay. This you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, when we were traveling, traveling was, was fun. Um, now everything is at the computer. Yeah. Um, I've been working on international projects. The only restriction are the time zone, just making sure yeah. you're awake with them mm-hmm. and vice versa. But, uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you are or where your artists are. So actually, it kind of opens up yeah. uh, the playing field of, of people you can recruit and work with uh, and who would want to travel now. No one. But back Not in if the, you want to live. Right. Back in the day, traveling was a lot of a fun perk to it. So... Um, has being black impacted your career in any way? You know, working in studios or? Yes, of course. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some people don't acknowledge it. So. <laughs> well, I have never lost sight of the fact that I'm black. And mm-hmm. throughout my career, often being the only one in the room as Pitches were taken or given or production meetings. Uh, And if I didn't make a concerted effort to hire black people on my crew, I would still Mm -hmm. be a black person, but I would make an effort to bring in uh, new talent, African-American talent. But the first experience I had, overt experience I had, being black, I was actually unaware of it, but when I was at the studio at Filmation and I had been promoted to the, uh, be an animator, well, there was a known Nazi sympathizer working at this Jewish studio. The, the, the founders and all the people who ran the studio were Jews. Um, you know, very nice, but this guy uh, dressed white shirt tie every day. Just mm-hmm. very stiff and such. So they gave him so uh, as a assistant animator, you picked your work up. You were given work out of a pool, and there was one person who assigned the work. Well. <clears throat> They gave him one of the scenes I had animated, and he gave it back. And he said, I refuse to work under him. I won't I won't work on a scene he's animated. So the gentleman got up, went to management, and told me what happened and what he said. So they came back and said to him, you either work on his scene or you get out of here. I didn't find out until eight, nine months later at another mm-hmm. studio. 
I was working at a, uh, I was working on a feature at the time, and some of my friends were there, and they told me the incident, and I had no Wow. But, uh, but the studio did not stand for it. It did not tolerate it. Um, so, you know, as far as hiring and promotions, I'm sure there have been times I was overlooked or passed over. Mm-hmm. But I, on, the, on the other hand, I think because of my hard work, and uh, my my skills as an artist, as an animator, my you know culture and race didn't hold me back. I, I think it mm-hmm. even opened doors for me mm-hmm. on certain projects. But overall, looking at the body of work I've done, um, I couldn't have worked on that many shows if race was an issue. Yeah. And, uh, but I also had support across the board from other Black artists, directors, and, and other people. You know, what I found in animation more often than not was a camaraderie of people just wanting to work. Mm-hmm. Um, it being, yeah, there there probably were people who were their gatekeepers in a sense. It, it was like the higher up you went, like if you wanted to create a show, mm-hmm. that's where you had roadblocks because yeah, you know they they want to keep the white ideals. In fact. Uh, I had proposed an article to Ebony Magazine, and this was again back in the 80s, but um, Mm -hmm. I titled it Equal Opportunity in Fantasy. Mm -hmm. And I I said, our dreams are not being honored. We're we're the funniest people, most entertaining people. Movies, we can be on TV, but when it comes to animation, we're shut down, we're blocked. So mm-hmm. uh, I got a thanks but no thanks letter. They weren't interested. Wow. But things have changed. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, things have changed. Um. So, again, you've held several leadership roles uh, in the animation industry. What advice can you give to people who want to climb the ranks in the animation industry? Well, take advantage of every opportunity you're given. Mm -hmm. Uh, My attitude is you're not going to get rich making art. Just enjoy making, yeah. and keep your keep your mind open. Learn everything you can uh, about storytelling, about the process, uh, about collaborating, and uh, you know, do your best to be inspiring. 
I think the opportunities young people have now are amazing. And mm -hmm. you can see in the next five to 10 years, well, there are already efforts being made for the black uh, streaming services to get out. Like one of the things that held us back is there was only ABC, CBS, and NBC. And, and yeah. But now you've got the internet, cable. Yeah. You know, there's just so many out. Um, as well as YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, for years, feared, said, "Look, put your idea up on YouTube. You get views, you get attention. They will come to you." Yeah. So, you know. But what it takes is that dream and passion to make the dream come true and stick to it. Mm -hmm. Don't give up. The, the list of, of guys who had ideas and how long it took that appear to be overnight successes, how long it took for them to get that success. Yeah. It's quite impressive. And it just took a won't give up mm -hmm. it's at all costs attitude. Um, so I, that's what I would encourage someone to do that really wants to go to the next level um, in terms of either being a creator, writer, or you know being at the top tier of production. Um. What do you think are the characteristics of a good leader in the animation industry? Hmm. Well, um, one who has a vision, a visionary mm -hmm. person who understands the process, the pipeline process, however you want to term it, but who's able to work with people across the board. Um, inspire people, inspire your team, your crew. And be humble enough to know when you're, you need to make a change, you know, things, mm -hmm. things uh, may not be working one way. I mean, I, I look at it like this, if you're, we're building something together and Eventually, you pour concrete to make the foundation, but un until the concrete dries, it's malleable. You can mm -hmm. shift and change and bring something new, just knowing at what point to do that. Mm -hmm. But um, but assembling a good team around you and then just you know staying on point uh so you have a project in the works um jg and the bc kids with janet hubert are you excited about that i am <laughs> there? where did you get that I, I uh as my friends and colleagues used to say, Deborah knows. <laughs> just okay. Google search away. Yes, because this just uh this just uh, came up in the last 
Oh gosh, maybe three months or so. But yes, I'm. I'm I do my research. <laughs> hats off, kudos. Very good. Very good. Yes, uh, I'm collaborating with Janet Hubert. Um, and for those who do, do not recognize the name, that's the dark skin Aunt Viv from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> yeah, the first Aunt Vivian. Mm -hmm. She has not been given a fair representation, I would say, in the media. Mm -hmm. I find a very fun person to collaborate with, uh, very creative, very open. Mm -hmm. uh, we're in the process of writing the script now, and uh, all the balls are getting up in the air. I've mm -hmm. been working with designers, uh, with the world at large and the kids. And um, it's a dream that she has had for 10 to 15 years. And she's just really focused on it in the last, this past year. Mm -hmm. And that's also a fun aspect of what we do is to see someone's dream, being a part of helping their dream. Yeah. To reality, and um, and that's the case with her. So, Do you have like an overview or a gist of what it's about? It's about empowering children who um, have been bullied and mm -hmm. um, that are. They're not the cool kids. They're the nerd, nerdy kids. Mm -hmm. But a JG is their uh, science teacher who comes from another world. They will find out mm -hmm. an agenda of bringing the smart kids with the street smart kids, guiding mm -hmm. them for a common goal and purpose that will make empower and make them better and also solve the problem that a bigger problem that they're dealing with in the world that you know we've got to have a villain who wants to take over yeah they've got to stop him and how they stop him and what he wants to do that's a secret <laughs> but yeah it's a good it's a good project it's a, a diverse uh the main characters are African-American, but they are surrounded by a culturally diverse uh, crew. And uh, the actors will likewise be diverse. Uh, and, you know, it's taking advantage of the things that I'm seeing now. I've been seeing actually in the last five years where more and more diverse projects are being greenlit and, mm -hmm. and people being brought to uh, the top tier creative level to make it happen. Yeah. And that's the time. So um, what, what do you feel like is the importance of incorpor incorporating your culture and projects when given the opportunity? Like, and what um, do you hope for you know, young artists to do with, you know, all the access you mentioned that we have and 
just kind of creating our own projects? Well, I look back at my childhood of, of how cartoons and entertainment influenced my life, opened up my mind to different things. And that's what I hope to do with, with, with the audience that watches my, you know, my cartoons and shows. Mm -hmm. So I try to layer in things from our culture uh, on a global level. Mm -hmm. African images, African-American images, uh, the way we speak, uh, mm -hmm. creating characters that a young person can look at and say, I understand who this kid yeah. is. This kid is me. Mm -hmm. I know that or I know someone like that. Um, <clears throat> getting back to when you were asking me about superheroes, there was a an advertisement in a magazine, and it was a young black boy looking in the mirror. He had a cape on and a t-shirt like Superman, but the image in the mirror was white. It was Superman, but it was how he was seeing himself. I can't remember what. Yeah. I think it was something to the effect of, of how young black kids saw themselves at that time. Mm -hmm. So I just want to motivate and inspire kids of our culture and others to break out yeah. of the mold. Um, not, not, no put down of, of the white class or, you know, white culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So long, that's what it's been. And there's such diversity in our culture and in others that, you know, will only make the world better the more we bring that out. So that's my, that's my dream and objective and my goal. Along those lines, I watched, um, I have to look at how to pronounce it because I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Jerem Jerem Pimbira. Yeah, that's <laughs> a tongue twister, that? but Jerem it was on Pimbira. YouTube. Oh, oh wow, is it okay? So, did how like did you get? Yeah, how did you get connected with that, and what was your involvement with that? When I was at uh, Hanna Barbera, the head of um, children's programming, she was a young lady named Jenny Trias. She was Filipino. And mm -hmm. uh, I had worked on two seasons of the Adams Family at Hanna-Barbera for her, for ABC, her ABC. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, she had wanted to do uh, fairy tales from different cultures. Mm -hmm. uh, Hispanic and African and so on. But this was the first one, so she literally came to me and asked me if I would direct it. Um, it was through another studio, uh, Ruby Spears. Um, mm -hmm. They were a small, they, they were an offshoot from Hanna-Barbera. Actually, they created, these two guys created Scooby-Doo. Okay. Uh, and 
she was great fans of theirs and they started their own studio. They did shows like Thunder Barbarian and some other stuff. But um, she came to them and said, I want you to do this, but I want Ron Myrick to direct it. And it was fun. It was well-written, um, nice designs. I put a nice crew together. It was one of the more fun experiences. And, mm -hmm. and hopefully, I had hoped there will be more to come, but that was the only one. Oh, unfortunate. Well, I enjoyed it. And if yeah. you, if you want to look it up on YouTube, people, it is um, J I R I M P I M B I R A, and so <laughs> an African folktale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a magic word uh, with the bones. Yeah. Um, so, uh, um, there's a couple more questions. Like if you had a documentary about your life, what would you highlight outside of your work in animation? Uh, my family, mm -hmm. to help support my mother. We have three kids, single mother. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, by the grace of God, she's still with us. She's 90 years old. And we celebrate life and having made it through some really hard times. Mm -hmm. But that as well as traveling the country and the experiences I gained, mm -hmm. being in Brooklyn, being in Atlanta, Chicago. Yeah. I would say actually the most interesting part of all that is when my father left. Uh, my mother sent me to Chicago to live with her sister. Mm -hmm. I was eight years old, and she put me on the train by myself. You would never do that with a child. Right. And we met a gentleman at the train station, African-American gentleman, and he saw the situation, and he said, oh, he can sit with me, and I'll keep an eye on him. Mm -hmm. I would go up and down the train car playing with kids and, and had a grand time. But from that, that laid the foundation for me traveling the world, mm -hmm. um, having the confidence of, yeah. well, I got to go to Paris. <laughs> 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 got to go to Korea. And, mm -hmm not knowing the language, not knowing anything, just hit the ground and start making things happen. But, uh, yeah. And, you know, that would be part of my story as well. Nice. Um, so what do you hope for the future of animation as in like innovation and I, I, have you seen the uh, the 2D animation Klaus? 
that came out last year? Yeah, yes. Beautiful. So, like, I've, you know, I, I've kind of discussed with other people, you know, Klaus was kind of the innovation for 2D, and then Into the Spider-Verse was kind of that innovation for 3D. So what do you hope for the future of, like, innovation and storylines and characters? Um, well, that's a good question. As far as the technology and the look of animation, I just think doors are being opened um, that are going to improve the look of animation. And I'm hoping that we are able to take advantage of African-American mm-hmm. creators. Uh, something as beautiful as hair love. Yeah. Love the animation and uh, as well as into the Spider-Verse. And <clears throat> story-wise, just, you know, I love reading. There's so many stories to be told. Mm-hmm. Music. Uh, I'd like to see, I'd like to see an African-American an animated movie and or series that took advantage of our music. And mm-hmm. not just hip hop, but certainly hip hop, but blues, um, jazz, mm-hmm. all the genres. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge music lover and anyone who sees this knows that uh, music and theater are my passion. So the, the biggest, Boy, the pandemic has brought to me is closing the Hollywood Bowl. Mm-hmm. I will be there every, every week, several times. Just, you know, it renews my spirit and yeah. inspires me. Um, but to, to really feature that in animation would be fantastic. The uh, uh, if something like Beyonce's recent movie, Black Black is King, yeah, something like that could be translated into animation. Definitely. But uh, and and I'm excited. I I believe that it's on the horizon. I believe too. So I would like to thank you for um, coming on my channel and letting me highlight you. If anybody's interested in connecting with you, um, how can they do that? Uh, through my email, um, myrickron at gmail.com. Or connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, and Deborah, I want to thank you. This has been mm-hmm. a real pleasure. You are an amazing young lady and rising star, I'm sure. I, I think this is really fantastic. And I'm honored that you asked me to come on this station. And I hope I've inspired or will inspire some. Yes, definitely. You're great. Thank you. So to everyone out there, I would like you to like so I know it's real, comment and tell me how you feel, subscribe to Deal, and sign up for post notifications to show your zeal. And I'll see you in the next video. Peace.